Welcome to the GAHI Leadership Podcast. The Georgia Association of Healthcare Executives, or GAHI, is committed to the development of leadership skills, knowledge exchange, and networking opportunities. GAHI represents a broad range of healthcare executives, professionals, consultants, and students throughout the state of Georgia. All right. Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, thank you all for being here. And welcome to today's webinar on the challenges doctors face with incomplete uh, clinical data when treating their patients. I'm Bruce Lloyd, Gahi's Executive Director, and I'll just be doing a few announcements, and then we will uh, get started with our program. I'd like to start by recognizing our annual sponsors. Our platinum sponsors are Wellstar uh, Healthcare and Atrium Health Navicent. Our gold sponsors are Piedmont Healthcare, Metro Atlanta Ambulance Service, Sound Physicians, Focera, Snap Nurse, uh, Vizia, and then our silver, silver sponsors are DT Spade, KCA Firm, Viblio Health, SSR, and Nagel and Associates. Uh, here's our list of upcoming events. So the next big thing is, uh, is next Thursday, April 20th. It's our uh, uh, lunch and learn at Magianas. It's from 11.30 to uh, 2 o'clock p.m. The topic is population health management, justice, access, and financial implications. Uh, the program has uh, one and a half hours of ACHE face-to-face -face credit with networking before and after the lunch program. So we hope you can join the program. You can see our um, speakers there on that slide. And Hugh Jackson, I think you're on the call. You're <laughs> looking forward to you moderating that session. And you can see all of the upcoming events at uh, Gahi's website, www.gahi.org. Uh, we offer several ways to stay connected through social media. Uh, we've got LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can see all of those at uh, gahi.org slash social. And uh, we also have several committees. We hope you'll get involved. Uh, you can sign up for committees on Gahi's website. Uh, today's program offers one hour of qualified education credit, and you can record those or self-report those on the uh, My ACHE section of ACHE's website, but I'll have some instructions for how to do that uh, in our uh, evaluation email later today. Okay, so now uh, let's go ahead and get started with the program. I'd like to introduce our moderator, Ken Bradley, and Ken will introduce uh, Dr. Barry Mangle. Uh, Ken Bradley is Chief Innovation Officer at Viblio Health. He's an interoperability thought leader and is responsible for regulatory and compliance functions. Ken has spent his life clearing the way for the ultimate connections of data. Ken's responsibility is to help ensure Viblio remains in front of statutory and legal requirements and help establish partnerships and relationships to bring practical, seamless interoperability to the healthcare community and their patients. Ken has been in healthcare for more than 30 years. Prior to Viblio, Ken co-founded Navicure, a SAAS medical practice revenue cycle management company. Navicure had over 100,000 billable providers and consistently maintained first or second in KLAS rating. At Navicure, Ken helped build data exchange processes that connected thousands of providers, payers, and health IT vendors. Okay, now I'll go ahead and turn the session over to Ken. Ken, go ahead. 
Well, thank you so much, Bruce. Well, first, I want to say what a privilege it is to be speaking with the leadership, the innovators, and the champions of Georgia's health providers. Um, one Georgia Health Association of Healthcare Executives objective is to exchange knowledge. Today's host, BiblioHealth, is excited to tell you about its mission to help providers quickly and efficiently find and manage medical records needed for treatment and for monitoring. And I would imagine that all healthcare providers are going to agree that having a comprehensive understanding of each patient's clinical history, regardless of where the patient has been received, received treatment in the past, is essential for clinical decision-making and for treatment. However, most of you would also likely agree that finding and managing clinical data is it's a challenge today from an operational standpoint, since data resides in so many places and forms, and from a data management perspective, since much of the time, the data that is found um, is non-standard and forms difficult to work with. So to address this, Vivlio Health was founded in 2020 to innovate a solution for healthcare providers that efficiently manages the process of tracking, finding, and retrieving clinical data from the national health information exchanges, facts, and direct file transfers, and then provides clinical teams with a tool to find and extract exactly what they need to import back into the EMR so that patients' clinical information is available to physicians. Today, we're very excited to have with us Dr. Barry Mangle. Dr. Barry Mangle is a board-certified interventional cardiologist. He studied at Boston University, where he completed a six-year Bachelor of Arts Doctorate of Medicine program with honors. Dr. Mangle completed his internship and residency at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia in 1991. He was a cardiac fellow at Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital and Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, where he received training in cardiac intervention. Dr. Mangle entered private practice in 1994. He is currently on staff at Wellstar, Cobb, Douglas, Kennestone, and Paulding Hospitals. Dr. Mangle is a diplomat of the National Board of Medical Examiners and the American Board of Internal Medicine. He is, a board he is board certified in cardiovascular diseases and interventional cardiology. He is a member of the Medical Association of Georgia and the Cobb County Medical Society and a fellow of the American College, College of Cardiology. Dr. Mangle serves as the Chief Cardiology Officer of Wellstar Health Systems. Today, we're going to discuss with Dr. Mangle the challenges that doctors face when it comes to patient data interoperability, why those challenges exist, and how it impacts doctors and their patients. Welcome, Dr. Mangle. We're so happy um, you can be with us today. So let's start by asking, what are some of the challenges facing doctors when it comes to maximizing the time spent on patient care and bringing new patients into your practice? Well, thanks, Ken. And uh, thanks to the whole group for allowing me to spend a few minutes talking about a subject that is near and dear. Um, I, I would really focus on a couple of different areas. And one specifically is our difficulty uh, reviewing outside records, which can uh, many times be voluminous and, and certainly not well organized. Uh, we also 
are are faced with uh, trying to obtain old records uh, that are not always available at the time of our patient visit and many times are also incomplete. And then I would say finally, and, and probably not exhaustively, but finally patients, uh, many of them are uh, don't always remember where they've had prior healthcare contacts. And many of them travel and have healthcare uh, problems and contacts elsewhere. And as a result, uh, because they're not always very clear on where those uh, where healthcare was provided, we have many times difficulty trying to get that information and and certainly trying to get it in a timely fashion. So we uh, we're faced with lots of different challenges when uh, when it comes to taking care of these patients, and specifically when it, when it comes to taking care of patients in the limited amount of time that we have. Sure. So it sounds like you're echoing. Um, that there is, in fact, a challenge for physicians to easily and consistently find information about each of their patients prior prior to treatment. Um, from your point of view, what is the problem that doctors and their cl clinical care teams are facing in obtaining and organizing patient data itself? Uh, again, a couple of different uh, uh, problems, I would say. I'm a specialist consultant in cardiology, and for other consultants like myself, having complete medical records really is critical to making clinical decisions. And as a result, when medical records are incomplete, there can be delays in care, and sometimes it requires follow-up visits as well, which otherwise would be unnecessary in order to uh, obtain information, bring patients back, and uh, and then resume the evaluation and management plan. Uh, and if those records were available to us on the first visit, certainly uh, we could save time for our patients and also for our uh, providers and, and for the team members, and I think provide better care. Uh, in, sure. in, in many circumstances, I would also say uh, that there uh, that we're given large amounts of medical records, old medical records to review, and, and we're asked uh, and really required to review those records in a short period of time. And uh, as, I've, as I've said, those records are very often not well organized, and uh, it requires a significant amount of time for us to organize them and review so that we can be prepared for our patient encounters. Sure. So I'm sure you're probably have heard the um, and experienced the problem where you either find or know don't know about records where they exist, so you have no information. And probably the flip side is to have volumes of information that have to be sorted, looked through, and and uh, hunted through to try to find the information that's pertinent to you and that would be necessary for you to use or for clinical or good clinical decision making. Um, how does this predicament impact doctors and their staffs? Well, I'd say it really creates frustration for us and for our staff because if we are unable to provide uh, accurate diagnoses at the in a timely fashion, when we're seeing patients, unable to answer questions and concerns, um, that is 
that that that's a big frustration for us. And it also creates a lot of back office work before and in between office visits. And uh, that is particularly problematic for us because uh, what we're what we're really trying to do is is spend uh, the the time that we have with patients focusing on their current problems, but that requires a lot of information. And if if the information is available to us, I think we can do a very good job. If the information is incomplete uh, or poorly organized, I, I I think that's a big challenge for us to uh, to to do the uh, excellent job that we want to do each time we see one of our patients. Sure, that has to be frustrating for professionals like yourself who. You're trying to provide the best care possible, and then these challenges seem to present themselves and um, are incredibly difficult to overcome, especially in today's age of when we use our smartphones for uh, making reservations and GPS and things like that. You, we need to get meta, uh, medicine up to the point where we're as sophisticated, at least, as making a a restaurant reservation, I would think, right. <laughs> and an expectation too of of our patients. They're, you know, they're taking exactly. a lot of time. Their family members often come with them, and it, uh, they're they're coming to us for a solution or an answer to their problem. And without being able to compile that uh, necessary data and information, we we, we certainly don't uh, provide that service that we are trying to provide. Sure. But as the chief uh, of cardiology there at Wellstar Health System, can you tell us some of the obstacles you're seeing, uh, not only yourself, but other practices when trying to improve treatment outcomes, while also trying to reduce or, or at least maintain operational and treatment costs? Yes, sure. Healthcare resources, as everyone on this call probably knows very well, are increasingly scarce and human resources particularly are becoming more costly. And so I think for all of us, it is imperative that we're able to do more with less. And so for, for these reasons specifically, we need to be able to leverage technology, I believe, as much as possible in order to improve patient outcomes. Uh, so time that is spent looking for information that can then be returned to our patients in the face-to-face -face interactions that we have to them and, and which are already very limited. So anything that allows us to, to leverage technology, to gather, organize information, and bring that information to us um, before we actually have to see a patient is, is going to remove those obstacles. It's going to make it easier for us to do our jobs and and certainly practice at uh, at top of license because again the the job of the specialist and and the job of physician specifically is to try to maximize time spent practicing at top of license yeah so it sounds like you're advocating for making sure that your valuable clinical staff and staff time have the tools they need to do to do their jobs and they're actually they're they're yearning for for those types of tools to to have in place so that they can do exactly what you just said to 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 provide um, quality clinical care for as many patients as you could possibly see. 
Absolutely. It's it's a frustration when we're not able to do that. And again, with limited resources uh, that we currently have, and, and I would say most healthcare systems and practices are under-resourced uh, post-pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's particularly important now not to have people spending time doing wasteful sort of um, tasks that are uh, are not really value added. And so that that's incredibly important for us at this point. Yes, exactly. So well, we're all hearing about the healthcare staffing crisis. Um, how is the staffing crisis impacting healthcare and did the pandemic accelerate these issues in your opinion? Well, it absolutely has. And, and you know, during and, and following the pandemic, I think all of us have seen the most significant increase in labor costs and also labor shortages in, uh, in the healthcare arena, more, more than we've seen in many, many years. It's always been a challenge for us, but I think the last few years, we've seen that this has become acutely worse. So, um, you know, we're, we're facing, uh, the, the patient facing part of our team, so that would include nurses and medical assistants, have become really some of the most challenging resources to recruit and retain. Uh, I, again, I'm sure everyone who runs practices or healthcare systems has seen this particular problem. Um, many of our uh, healthcare workers also now prefer remote work and um, a or a combination of, of remote and in-person work. So all of that has really led to challenges in, in staffing our medical offices and facilities. And so because we have limited resources, uh, we, we really need to be focused on utilizing those resources optimally. And, and as we talk about information uh, and gathering information, it's, it's incredibly important to not have them spend a lot of time doing unnecessary work. Yes, absolutely. That time spent could be helping patients and, and along the way, health systems um, have improved margins and, and improved operating costs along, along with that. Sp speaking of, of tools, how has your EM, EMR integration improved your day-to-day -day workflow? Or is there anything that you would like to, to talk about as it relates to um, the EMR and, and how well it's gathering information from outside sources and, and things like that? So I, I would say that the EMR has had a lot of advantages, uh, but it also has created a lot of, um, of challenges for us. One of the things that I noticed really very early on when we went on to Epic as an EMR is that there was so much information available to us and reviewing that information really required a lot more time than I was spending previously. And so having more information is, um, uh, is a blessing because it helps us to take care of our patients, but it can also be a curse in that uh, we now had more information to review, which also required more time. Um, I would also say that uh, EMR integration has improved our workflows and our patient care by providing access to uh, medical information that comes in from a lot of different sources and inputs. 
prior to getting the EHR, we utilized paper charts and we relied on requests and, and receipt for medical information from outside of our of our offices and healthcare systems. And, and many times, I would argue most times, the information was incomplete. And as a result, medical decision-making was more difficult, and I would also say less reliable. So since we got the EMR, more information is available. Um, and as I said, it's not well-organized. It requires uh, more time, more effort to search for relevant information. And in many, in many different scenarios, we rely heavily on our staff to, to collate this information. And as previously mentioned, that drives up cost. We really strive to have our clinicians and our other healthcare staff and providers function at top of license. And therefore, we want them spending less time searching for information that would be relevant to patient care. That a little bit more though, doctor. When when do you believe that the clinical data networks and the information that is available? Um, do you think that it's always finding all of the information where the patient may have received care? In particular, if a if a patient may be using any uh, uh, or have seen a provider from a different health system or in a different state or a different region of the country. How well do you think this information is available in situations where uh, the information is widely scattered or potentially in different um, different locations or different technologies? Uh, is that a little more difficult to find? Well, even even if the information is is available to us, and Epic, uh, because I'm familiar with it, is a good example. We uh, we we can be connected to other healthcare organizations and still not know where to find the information. And sure. so we, we spend a lot of time in our daily practice trying to locate that information. There's a lot of, of clicking involved, trying to locate pertinent information. And um, the, the places, the locations that this information lives is not always very clear. There, there could be tabs that that indicate it's a media file. And in those tabs, there's not really good organization for all of that information. And so uh, my concern as a provider is number one, I'm spending a lot of time looking for it. And number two, I don't always know where to look. And, and as a result, feel uncomfortable that we're not getting all of the information that we need. And that, sure. that that's important because if I don't have relevant information, it, it, it also um, sometimes causes us to repeat tests, which drive up healthcare costs. And that's a, uh, another problem altogether. Incomplete medical records in patients who don't necessarily remember having uh, tests and, and um, uh, different procedures sometimes can raise the cost of healthcare because we, we do end up repeating some of those procedures or tests unnecessarily. Sure, and of course, um, has, has your, I like you likely see frequently, patients are going through difficult times. Many times they're very ill um, and it's a difficult time in their life to have to try to remember um, very complicated um, 
where they've had complicated medical procedures or medications and, and, and things like that. So relying completely on the patient is not, it, it, it's, it's helpful to try to ask, but we may not be able to depend on that completely, it sounds like. Sure. Yeah, many, many of our patients too uh, reside in different locations. Some of them travel and may have healthcare providers in other uh, in other parts of the country. And so it's it's difficult to gather that information. Um, and as I said, these patients are sick, and and so uh, you know we're we're trying very hard sure. to gather and 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 make sure that we are um, are are able to provide top quality care, but sometimes it feels as if we have one hand tied behind our back. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Well, speaking of that, something that I know may be important to you um, is expanding healthcare access to rural areas um, as an example of trying to bring, uh, so this, the technological expertise where the, where the expertise may not exist and, and actually help expand or, or eliminate the obstacles to, to providing quality care um, and timely care for, for those who reside in, in rural areas. Um, what are some of the obstacles to expanding healthcare um, in rural areas and, uh, and, and where healthcare may not be widely accessible? Well, this is a really tremendous problem. And it's, it's, a, it's a big problem here in a state like Georgia, where we have a lot of rural communities. So some of the biggest obstacles are, of course, distance, and also, I would say, lack of local expertise. Additionally, um, both human and financial resources are limited, particularly in the rural communities. So an example, one example of this would be stroke care, um, high level, high acuity stroke interventions are available in limited centers and physician expertise is also very, um, very limited. So for, the, for, for reasons such as this, patients who live in rural areas are a lot of times not provided optimal stroke management. And so as you, as you might imagine, this leads to increased disability and mortality. And so in the end, uh, societal costs increase. And I really uh, passionately believe that technology has the potential to improve our clinical reach into some of these rural areas. Things like remote patient monitoring, other forms of virtual health um, may help to even the playing field when it comes to delivering care uh, to some of these rural areas, especially the high quality, high acuity care. So um, a significant part of providing this type of care is access and accurate and timely clinical information. Without the information, we will have the same challenges, probably more challenges in providing optimal clinical care. Sure, and patients deserve to have the, the quality care regardless really of where, where they live and, and the, the the good thing is, I think we're marching towards um, a, a better day when the, not only the information will travel from position to position more easily, but but also be um, something where we'll be able to collect an information from the provider or from the patient where where they may be. It sounds like so. Um, 
that's definitely an exciting um, uh, an exciting uh, part of of the whole data interoperability piece, where where we can we can we can start to help patients more that may have not had this type of access in the past. It sounds like. Yeah, I, I you know if we're going to be providing more care to rural communities, and we are really going to have to rely on being able to accumulate information, healthcare information, healthcare data from a variety of different sources and bringing that into the whatever virtual technology platform that we are, are able and, and um, going to be using is, is gonna be critical for us if we're gonna be able to care for these patients. So I think technology will advance to where we're providing more care, both for patients who are in rural communities and there's a lot of discussion now about providing care at home. And so we're gonna, we're gonna have to gather this clinical information for those patients who are being cared for at home as well in order to be able to uh, make good clinical decisions. And so uh, rural healthcare, home healthcare that is, um, that, that's facilitated through some of the new technologies that are becoming available to us will require the, um, the, the data organization, gathering and organization that we've been talking about. Sure. Well, um, it, it certainly seems like we, we, we are starting to see some of the fruits of the labor of, of uh, many hardworking people and even people on this webinar that have participating in, in discussions related to um, when we think back to when we were using paper records, like you mentioned earlier, to now we have EMRs, these great, these great, this great software um, sitting on our on our um, desks and our health systems. Um, but now the challenge really is to get that information flowing uh, between different health systems um, and wherever the patient is being seen and being treated. So. Um, it's a challenge I think we're all up to, and we're probably, uh, uh, we're starting to see, I think, great, great strides in that. Do you think that this can help the overall, um, to, to kind of go back to the, the quality of care and, and treatment plans, do you think this has the potential to, to really raise quality scores and, 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 um, other types of metrics that are important, not only to health executives, but but are also obviously important to patients too. So they, they want the best outcomes possible. But do you believe that all of this could potentially help health systems and providers see rising quality scores and, and, and help with those types of metrics? I would, I would argue absolutely. And I'll, I'll give a few different examples of, of how that might be the case. Uh, let's talk about a patient that comes to see us and uh, we have incomplete information. As a result, the patients are dissatisfied and possibly are not getting the, the highest quality care. So uh, one, of the, one of the big opportunities for us in healthcare now is, is uh, customer satisfaction, which is really one of the quality metrics that we all follow. And you have to you have to 
understand that if uh, patients see that we have complete information about them and that we're utilizing that information to develop care plans that are well-informed care plans that will not only improve their satisfaction, but also the, the outcomes that we're going to get. Um, ha having incomplete information is problematic in so many different ways. We, you know, we, it drives up costs as we've mentioned, but also I think leaves gaps in, in our care. One of the things that we do regularly is something called medication reconciliation, where we're, at, we're trying to be absolutely sure that we understand each and every medication that our patients are taking. So if we have incomplete information there, not, not only is it, um, is, is it a problem from our perspective to do accurate medication reconciliation, but it can be a safety issue for patients as well. There are drug interactions. There are things that uh, can occur that we may not be aware of if we have incomplete medical information that, um, that we otherwise could have gathered and, and uh, reviewed. So, so I think absolutely on the safety and quality front, patient satisfaction also having this information is, is really critical. Sure. I know from a personal perspective, I, I worked um, extensively with the implementing the ANSI um, standards and transaction sets for the administrative side. So I remember the days when everyone was getting paper EOBs and, and things like that. And it took a little while for, for many to understand that that 835 data, even though it's still not completely perfect with um, it, it, it revolutionized really and really modernized how we can streamline even the payment process. So hopefully we can see kind of a duplicate or something similar more on the clinical side as well. So, um, well, great insights, Dr. 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 Mangle. Um, we appreciate so much you talking with us today and sharing your, your extensive knowledge and, and, and real world experience with, with us um, relating to this important topic. Um, I, it looks like we may already have a question here. If, if I could start that off and then as you're uh, thinking about this, I could look for some others. But the first question that we have here is what types of innovations uh, do you see in healthcare interoperability? And what would you, maybe more importantly here, what would you like to see as a physician and executive? So we've talked a lot about you know, sort of the holy grail of, of bringing information together through, a, um, you know, a, a process of, of gathering and organizing the data. Um, I think as a, as a, per, a person who provides care um, to a, a large number of patients, there are other healthcare innovations that are really kind of on the, um, on the threshold that are, that are really going to be important. And one of them is, is, is in the artificial intelligence area where sure. you know, I, spend a, I spend a lot of time on the computer with my patients because I'm documenting information. But if the natural language processing uh, technology that's going to be available could gather that information and, and actually it can do that now and provide documentation for me, I could spend more time face-to-face -face with my patients. 
And uh, so that's one area, I think, in documentation. Another area that's really of interest to me is in how we use uh, some of the AI technology to do better population health. And that means looking into the data sets, looking into the, the healthcare data sets that are available to us and uncovering information about our patients that they may not be aware of. Maybe uh, uh, they have a, a, an enlarging aortic aneurysm. They didn't know it. They had a CAT scan done a few years ago that showed a, a, an aortic aneurysm, but they were there for chest pain or they were there in the emergency room for pneumonia or even COVID. A lot of times that information is not brought to the forefront. And so we're using technology more and more to bring information to us to really do a better job of, of population health management. So I think there's a lot of great technology that we're going to have over the next couple of years. And that is, is, is really going to take, um, it's gonna make taking care of our patients, not just when they come to us with manifest disease, but really to look underneath the waterline at problems they may have, bring that information to us and say they may be at risk for disease, and then allow us to start managing that before people start to get sick. Sure. Yeah. So the amount of information that we know is being generated today, it would be nearly impossible for a human, I think, to really keep up with that information, but making sense of all that information, be able to connect dots, maybe one, at least one part of how AI can help when it's looking for trends or even at the macro level when in, in public health and, and things like that, things that just might not be visible to um, even, even an individual uh, doctor having an individual patient seeing trends or seeing how treatments may be impacting other patients with similar um, um, ailments and illnesses might, you know, those AI does have the promise, I think, of, of helping us along those lines as well, right? I mean, with, with, it would again, because of the volume of data, being able to sift through that and make, and try to discover patterns and, and that may exist down in there. Yeah, I would, I would say also that uh, one of the things we've come to understand over, you know, uh, the last few decades is that we do a lot of medical research and and develop a lot of new technologies and medications, but uh, those different types of technologies and medications may not always apply to every part of the community. And, and so when we do that, we've got, a, we've got a data set here in the Southeast region that may look a little different from the Northeast or the Midwest. And so getting at that data and understanding what those differences might be and how different types of treatments could apply to our more local or regional group of patients is particularly important as we try to make individual medical decisions. So let's take another question here. What other changes in healthcare are impacting how you and other specialists uh, like cardiologists practice medicine? What are you seeing um, what other kinds of changes are impacting how how you and your your colleagues are practicing medicine? Well, I, as an example, would say that um, uh, there are things like robotics that are in cardiology becoming uh, more and more available to us. 
And actually, as we were previously talking about remote care, if you can imagine for a minute that we have limited numbers of stroke interventionalists and they may not be um, located in rural communities. One of the things that we've been talking about for the last few years is trying to apply robotic stroke care um, in a remote fashion. So being able to intervene on patients who are having strokes in remote communities using robotic technology. So a, a physician, a stroke specialist here in Atlanta could actually be working on a patient in rural Georgia who's had a stroke. And so those, those types of technologies are of great interest to us. And there's been a lot of technology hurdles that we had to get over to be able to do that. But I think we're getting closer to being able to do that sort of work. Um, and, and again, you know, we all are talking about chat GPT and, and what it's able to do for us. Medical information is evolving at such rapid rates now that even much more so than it was when I was in my training. So the ability to get that information, summarize it, ChatGPT has the ability to do a lot of that and we'll get better over time and summarize it and maybe bring it to us at the point of care. Those sorts of technologies are, I, I strongly believe, going to change the way that we care for patients in the really not too distant future. Right. And it sounds to me like the, at least for the, in the initial stages would be getting, at least getting the information in front of clinicians like yourself uh, for you to make that human decision, you know, kind of like my GPS can give me different routes to take. Ultimately, it's your decision, but at least having the information summarized in front of you um, would be probably incredibly helpful. Augmented. Uh, is is the word I like to use, Ken. It's a it augments our our own clinical skills. I don't think it will replace the ability of a of a clinician uh, to to make a decision. Right, we're we're looking at our patients. We're seeing things that technology could never see, and so the technology I believe will augment our ability to take care of these people. Sure. So we have another question here. Um, Data has been mentioned quite a bit, volume, access, regionally-based differences, et cetera. Um, what is the biggest challenge with data? Is the right data or time to get access to a large data enough um, data set to help provide care? Is that, um, what is the biggest challenge with data is the right data or time to get access to a large data set enough to help provide care? Well, the, the, problem, the problem I would say is that all of us are very busy. Well, this is one problem anyway. All of us are very busy and there is so much data. And so taking that data and organizing it in, in a way that is useful to us and having the data pushed to us as opposed to having us have to go in and scrape it from different locations is, is I think, the, the best way to do that. Um, when you're talking about large amounts of data that sit in an EHR as, exam as an example, um, it creates more problems for us 
if we don't have the ability to, to get um, organized data that answers our questions, because if we're, you know, if we're just getting data, it's taking more and more of our time and really not, um, not allowing us or helping us to improve individual patient care or population patient care. So, uh, and, and I think that's only going to get worse over time. If you imagine all of the remote data that eventually will be coming to us from wearable devices and things like that, it's going to be imperative that 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 data is organized and filtered in a way to make it actionable for us. If not, we're uh, we're just going to be inundated with more and more data, and um, it's it's sort of like the alarms that go off in an intensive care unit. Eventually, you you don't hear the alarms anymore because they're going off over and over again. Sure, sure. Um, we have another question here. What are some tests or clinical data that you often want to have highlighted when looking at a chart to help you figure out diagnosis and treatment? I would say that, you know, d- depending on your specialty, for, for me personally, there are specific things that I like to see as a cardiologist. Uh, there are medications that are important to me, certain prior tests that are important, echocardiograms, cardiac catheterization, stress tests, uh, monitors for monitor results for patients with heart arrhythmias. Um, and so, so that information becomes very important, but it really is specialty dependent. Uh, and, and each specialty would, would say that they need to see certain types of, of information. And so therefore being able to curate that for the different specialties also becomes um, a, an important part of this process. Sure. Yeah. The, the, the labs, the images, um, medications, all of those things are also a, a, a very important component of understanding um, the patient's condition now, but also how the patient has been trending over, over the course of, of their life, it, it, it would seem. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that. I think that's a, um, you know, that's a, that's a particularly important um, the, the, the trends, et cetera. And it, that gets back to the prior um, alarm issue. We, we want to be sure that if somebody is trending over or, or below uh, a safe zone that we do get alerts, but, um, but, right. but that information is, um, is, is just part of the huge data set that's available. Yeah. But again, it's, it's incredibly important to also know that as you mentioned earlier that it, it, it's, it's vital that you you need to have these tests and images in some cases. And if you can't find this information, you're asking a patient to, to potentially have to go through this, uh, the test again. Um, there's costs involved with that and potentially even delays. So it is important that this, at least again, it emphasizes the importance of having um, Actually, the, the, if you think about it, the, the data needs to follow the patient wherever they're at and be in front of the clinician in the right form, in the right way, at the right time for it to work optimally, it sounds like. Yeah, I would, I would say for a visual for the group, one of the most difficult and unwelcome sites for a, a specialist like myself is before I go to see a new patient on my desk is a you know, four inch thick um, uh, pile of, of records that are not organized. And really, I, I'm 
um, I'm required to go through that information and try to uh, try to distill what's going to be clinically relevant. And so that's a that's a major problem. And I think it's only getting to be a bigger problem as people travel through different systems and there are different, you know, EHRs, et cetera. So we've got to we, we, we've got to figure out how to do better with that. Right. Well, we know the focus from CMS and HHS is mostly getting giving making sure the patient has control over their information. And the idea that a patient can be seen in, in more than one location for even for particular um, different specialties and, and things, there really does need to be a way to really aggregate all this together and make sure that that each clinician has, as that clinician is working with that patient, have a complete picture of what's happening and, and be able to dive in and find the information that is pertinent to what to whatever specialty or whatever need they may have. Absolutely. Um, well, I don't see I, I, I don't see any other questions. Um, it, if it sounds like uh, it looks like we may may be able to wrap up. Bruce, I'll send it back over to you. But first, I want to say, Dr. Mangel, thank you so much for, for uh, sharing uh, your incredibly valuable time, um, expertise, and knowledge uh, with us today. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you again, hopefully in the future. Bruce, thank I'll you. hand it back over to you. Thank you so much. Great. Um, thanks so much, uh, Ken and Dr. Mangel, uh, for speaking today. Great, great session. And uh, um, I just wanted to, to say thanks again, and thanks uh, to also to our uh, annual sponsors. Uh, we appreciate all you do to provide leadership for the healthcare industry in Georgia. And uh, uh, Biblio, Biblio Health is actually one of our sponsors, so we thank you. And uh, also, as a reminder, um, please be sure to complete our meeting evaluation, which I'll be sending to everyone later this afternoon. I want to go ahead and get a, a, cop, a recording of today's session that I'll be sending out. So it'll probably be later on in the day by the time that gets out. Anyway, your feedback is very helpful to us as we uh, continue to improve our programs. Uh, be sure to self-report uh, one hour of qualified education credit on the ACHE website. That email I send later today will have some instructions on how to do that. Um, I hope everyone that's on the call today will be able to join us next week at Magiano's next uh, Thursday, April 20th. And uh, I think that's all. So um, have a great afternoon and a, and a fun weekend and uh, hope to see you soon. Yes, take care. This has been the Gahi Leadership Podcast. For more information, find us online at gahi.org.